want to welcome my guest today, Michael Pinto, who is the CEO of Wondermakers. Now, I've known Mike for quite a few years, and we've done uh, quite a few trainings together over the years and been at many conventions. And he is a wealth of knowledge when it deals with uh, indoor environments as far as sensitized individuals. And that's the purpose of having here t- him here today. The uh, recent outbreak of uh, forest fires in Canada has really changed what's been going on, at least in the central to the eastern part of the United States. Now, I know California has its own issues with wildfires, but that hasn't reached us to this point. But this is a new situation with these fires, with the winds coming out of the north and northwest blowing straight down into the major population areas of the United States on the eastern coast. So um, I want to bring Mike in here and uh, let him say a quick hello. And if there's anything I missed on the intro, Mike, please. Let me know and, uh, and uh, whoever else is watching this know also. So, Mike, say hello. Well, thanks, Lance. I appreciate being here very much. What I would say, however, is that it's not just the eastern coast that uh, smoke plume from the Canadian forest fires is literally cutting across the good section of the Midwest, too. So here in Michigan, we're not quite as bad as you guys out there on the east coast, but it's not good either. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, I mean, you're obviously further north and closer to the Canadian border than I am. I'm in New Jersey. Is it affecting you and how is it affecting your area? Well, uh, yes, it is affecting us. And as I said just a moment ago, it's not good. Anytime you get outdoor air quality, that's worse than what you typically get inside. That's a whole flip on the uh, issue in terms of the things that we're used to thinking about and even teaching in a lot of our classes because uh, you know the standard line from the EPA is that the outside air can be up to 20 times uh, cleaner than the inside air and uh, you know people spend 90% of their time inside and so bad indoor air can cause a real problem and a lot of us in the industry are focused on that and then when we are faced with a situation like this where the outside air is uh, dangerous to people and that is the case it is literally dangerous to people um, then what do you do where do you go to hide so to speak so uh, it is impacting us here in the midwest Um, the the way that it sets up there's kind of like an arc of smoke that's coming down from canada and we're on the what would be the the left-hand edge of that arc here in Michigan. And uh, Lake Michigan seems to be the borderline in terms of keeping the clean air, uh, you know, over to Chicago and to the west. But right down through Michigan and Indiana and Ohio and then over uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, the entire east coast is pretty well hit right now by the uh, residue from the forest fires. Yeah, we've seen, uh, especially wintertime with Lake Michigan, it creates its own weather systems. So I I could see how that would become a border, keeping the uh, weather at bay or the smoke at bay in that part. But, you know, what's really interesting is all the news stations, that's all they're talking about now, the unhealthy air conditioning outside and inside that we have to deal with. And, you know, this is kind of like the uh, dirty water glass uh, scenario. You know, we know what's in the outdoor air and the indoor air all the time, and you can't see it, so nobody pays attention to it. Well, not nobody. We do. The industry people do. But if you were to hand somebody a glass of water that had a brown tinge, tinge to it, it was discolored, 
people wouldn't drink it because they could see it and they would know there was things in there that they don't want to take in, even though it does contain, you know, mercury and all kinds of other nasty contaminants regularly. And the same thing that's happening now with the air quality, people can see it. And that's really, I think, what's jumping out and, and causing people to really take notice to what's going on. You're absolutely right. Normally, the outside air is much better than the inside air. So when people are inside, they normally go outside to breathe better, and they can't in this case. They have to hide inside. So that brings us to the sensitized people that we were talking about. This is, um, you know, something that's, you know, very close and dear to you. We deal with it on a daily basis here at Normie with people that, can't get help from regular assessors, remediators, people that are in the industry, which is why you have a class, you're the lead instructor, the uh, NCRSI class, the uh, class for sensitized individuals that actually is teaching remediators how to deal with them. And also the um, certified mold professional, which is expanding even beyond that. So those are two of your specialties. And with that, maybe you can answer this question. How come the outside air right now, obviously beyond people being emotionally reacting to it, so troublesome for sensitized individuals, even more so than regular people? Well, what I would start off with is saying that I think when you're dealing with outside air like we are today, it's everybody has to be concerned about it. The difference is that the sensitized individuals have to be concerned at a higher level than even the normal folks. So um, I'm sure you've heard over there on the East Coast, they're canceling certain sporting events and outdoor activities and things like that because the, the air just isn't healthy. And so you want to be, uh, you know, limiting your amount of exposure, just like we tell people in a, you know, water damaged or mold damaged house, sometimes they have to get out of that house to protect their health. The problem here, of course, as we've been talking about, where do you go if it's the whole outside that's contaminated by the forest fires? And so the we're, we're literally looking at it, uh, you know, flipping the whole script upside down, if you will. We now have to think about the houses and the air in the houses being a refuge for the people from what they're potentially going to be exposed to on the out of doors. And for the sensitized individual, it's even more significant for them because uh, a lot of times we talk about mold sensitized individuals and that's where it starts. But virtually every sensitized individual that I'm familiar with and have worked with over 20 plus years now, uh, they develop cross sensitivities. So they start out uh, with a mold exposure that causes a, a decrease in their health, um, and then they become sensitive to other things. They become sensitive to tobacco smoke that they weren't sensitive to before. They become sensitive to some of the chemicals, like you know, low levels of formaldehyde in the home that perhaps they weren't sensitive uh, before. Uh, perfumes, um, you know, all sorts of things. They develop these cross sensitivities, and when we're dealing with the outside air that's impacted by the wildfires, it's particulates, it's volatile organic compounds, and it's uh, um, gases. So if they're cross-sensitive to anything, it's going to be in one of those categories, and then they're going to have problems with it. 
So that's really the issue. I have I have a few calls into uh, different contacts at different labs that we normally use, especially the ones that deal with BOCs, the volatile organic compounds. And I'm waiting on those callbacks that we just made recently. But I'm looking for what might be in this new smoke plume that we're getting um, that could be so offensive to people uh, with and without sensitivities. I don't know if you know any of the chemistries that may be you know, involved with this, though I have noticed the burning odor and it's different than normal. This isn't like a wood fireplace or a fire pit. Right, and uh, some of that is gonna be dependent upon what sort of um, forest are burning, whether they're hardwoods or evergreens, things like that. The evergreen forest, uh, which is a good share of what's burning up in Canada right now, because uh, they're you know closer to the Arctic Circle and that sort of stuff. So those are going to have uh, a lot more um, PAHs, um, uh, aromatic hydrocarbons in them, and that's from the oils and everything that's burning in the uh, pine trees and the spruce, tr spruce trees and that sort of stuff. So then you're also going to get a whole uh, chemical stew, if you will, from that because depending on the temperature and whether it's they're exposed to uh, actual flame or just the heat from it, where it is, whether it's protected by the bark, all these other things, you just get this massive amount of um, organic compounds that get liberated into the air during these fires. And then the ash and the smoke, which is basically both of those are small particulates, those tend to sometimes be even more airborne than the VOCs because the, the chemicals can be a little sticky and a little heavy, but when they attach to these small ash particles, then they're you know transported, as we're finding out, thousands of miles into the airstream. The heat of the forest fire pushes them up uh, a mile or more, and then they're in the airstream and they're, you know, heading downstream. Um, but uh, by the time that it gets to New York City or Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I am, or things like that, most of the gases, the carbon monoxide, the excess carbon dioxide, the nitrogen um, compounds and that sort of stuff, that's pretty well mixed and diluted. So the, the two things that are impacting the folks there on the East Coast and the sensitized individuals uh, are mostly going to be those uh, volatile organic compounds, which are those PAHs um, and uh, uh, particles. So, You know, on a small scale, um, I mean, I've been involved with emergency uh, medical services for almost 50 years. And I've seen over the years people having severe reactions to being around a fire pit or a campfire. And when you start to look into it, you find out that it wasn't from the wood that they're burning. It was from the accidental dumping of poison ivy into the fire pit that was still around some of the logs. And as they burn the poison ivy, it's aerosolizing and getting in, in, um, encased in that smoke and they're inhaling that and having severe reactions to it. Well, and then think of everything else that's going on there. Um, the uh, PAH, as I was talking about, the first uh, word for the P is phenols. So there's all these different phenolic compounds that are getting um, burned up, and that's your oils, and that's your, uh, you know, your irritants, like you were talking about with the poison ivy. But remember, forest fires don't stay forest fires. I mean, they run across roads, 
and they literally will melt the tar on an asphalt road. And so, and sometimes the roads actually start to burn. So now you've got all of that uh, oil product, anything that's, uh, you know, a building in the way or a vehicle that gets trapped in the fire or a house, of course, you're gonna have all of the, you know, man-made products, uh, artificial products that there then burn. And that all goes up in the air. And, and, you know, comparatively, that may be a small percentage of what's burning, but from the sensitized individual, that can actually be a bigger issue sometimes than just the individual smoke particles. Like you said, it's what attaches to the smoke particles. And then those smoke particles are so small, they get breathed in, they go deep into the lungs, and that whole combination, small particles going deep into the lungs and small particles carrying, pardon the expression, crap deep into the lungs. That's not a scientific term there, by the way, Lance. That's just a common term. But there's so much stuff that's on it. It's hard to know from breath to breath what's actually being taken in. And so, uh, again, caution is the byword for anyone, but particularly for the sensitized individuals. You know, in the um, remediation industry, in the meteorological industry, they they refer to things, uh, especially with hurricanes, hide from the wind, run from the water, because of the, the amount of damage that can be done. You can hide from the wind, take shelter of that, but in water you can't. Water's going to seep into everything. But we're dealing with something that's unique here because we're a thousand miles away from these fires and we are severely being affected. So running isn't really a realistic situation. Uh, I think knowledge is something that would help people understanding the risks, understanding, you know, well, maybe today's not the day to go outside and, you know, cut my grass, you know, and spend a good two hours or three hours out there in this serious weather or this heavy fog of smoke. And understanding that will definitely help people. But forecasting this is also an issue. So where, where could people go to find out how bad their area is and what their risks are to being outside? Well, I'm sure everybody has their own favorite sources and there's, uh, you know, weather channels and local governments and state governments and everybody's kind of jumping on the bandwagon. The one that I use, and it's just, again, my favorite because it's, it's uh, gonna be there anytime you have these wildfires and stuff is um, a federal government um, uh, website. And that is, uh, let me make sure I've got it here so that everybody knows, uh, fire.airnow, as an A-I-R-N-O-W, dot gov. Fire.airnow.gov. And that one's really cool because you punch on that and it brings up a map of uh, uh, basically North America. And it shows where the plume is coming down with the, um, the smoke where the air quality is being impacted. And then it rates it at each uh, you know, major city. And, and it's not even just major, it's each uh, you know, fairly significant size city has a dot on it. That's either green, which means that it's good air quality or yellow, which means it's questionable. And then most people think, well, then you get to red and that's bad. But this map actually goes to other levels. It goes to like purple and to black. And um, I looked uh, yesterday, uh, Lance had it, and knowing where you are in New Jersey, I just kind of looked to see where you are, blew it up to look and see in your location. You guys were black. 
So uh, you're you're in the heart of it right now. Yeah, yesterday was really bad. This morning it wasn't too bad, but then we did get an alert that it was going to be going downhill as the day went on. And looking outside now um, in June, not a cloud in the sky. It looks like sunset. So, yeah. you know, it's that dark. Um, I do have a question. If you were speaking to sensitized individuals as your customers or as a group, what would you tell them to do? I mean, normally... If they're inside their home and they're having reactions to that, they go outside. Now they have to stay inside. So what can they do now that they're in their environments that sometimes give them trouble anyways? Well, I'm, I'm going to approach that from two different perspectives, if that's okay. The first one, and I, and I don't mean to sound like I told you so, but you do have to understand if you're a sensitized individual, it's important for you to take steps now to get your indoor environment clean. Because we don't know when we're gonna have situations like this where all of a sudden, with, you know, from no fault of our own, like you said, a thousand miles away, they got a forest fire and it's having a serious impact on us. And if for some reason, our sensitized individuals are saying, well, it's not that bad. And, you know, if it does get real bad or if it gets damper in the house, I can always go outside or whatever it is. It, that deferred maintenance or that deferred decision-making really is going to have a, a serious negative impact on them in situations like this, because there may just be times where you can't get away, um, you know, get away from the problems in your house by leaving your house. You, outside, you may be actually facing greater problems than you have in your house. So the first item is just never defer uh, you know, fixing things that you can fix now uh, until some later date, just because it doesn't seem important to you. Well, it's the, you know, the clean glass of water. It's, it's not a concern because you don't see a problem. As soon as it's, you know, brownish or discolored, now it's on your mind. Same thing with the air. Yep, exactly right. Uh, but it would be the same thing. That's why they have, um, you know, on occasion you'll have boil water orders as well, right? They don't know exactly what's wrong with the water system. And so they, they tell people to um, uh, boil the water. That's why one of the things that they chat about even in front of hurricanes and things is get a few cases of uh, bottled water so that you can survive, um, you know, a couple of days if you have to without having water coming out of your tap. Um, fix your house. If you know you've got things going on in your house that are contaminants or whatever, get rid of those, fix it, uh, do the remediation properly so that you've got a, a good safe place to be. And then you can, uh, you know, potentially survive a little bit better during these um, outdoor air quality incidents. Um, but putting that aside, because at some point that's, uh, you know, that's water under the dam. Either they have fixed it or they haven't fixed it, but now they're still facing what's going on outside. So the first thing, and I'm just, the first couple here, I'm just repeating the standard um, safety precautions that you're going to get from just about any site. If you don't have to go outside or you can limit your time outside, don't go outside and limit your time outside. Um, if you do go outside, uh, you know, wear some sort of respiratory protection. I know that I'm seeing a lot of information where people are talking about, oh, 
you know, you can use your COVID mask and stuff like that. And the answer is, eh, um, the face uh, masks that were being sold as uh, COVID protection, uh, I won't get into that whole discussion all over again, but that is not going to be appropriate, particularly for the sensitized individuals. Uh, at a minimum, they're going to need like an N95, and uh, we recommend N99 or N100 filtering face pieces. So um, that's going to protect a lot coming in. And remember, too, that a entry spot for some of this contamination into your body is not just the nose and mouth, but the eyes as well. And uh, fire residue is even worse because of the uh, small particle. So those get into your eyes and then get diluted by the tears and everything. It actually releases some of those chemicals that are on the um, uh, particle itself. So the particle may wash out, you know, and get it out of our eyes and everything. But what is left behind and what's being absorbed in through your eyes is some of the chemicals and stuff. So remembering to wash your face when you come in from the outside, um, uh, wearing a mask to protect yourself, uh, changing clothes if you've been outside for any length, you're not carrying a lot of this stuff in. A lot of similar things that we would talk about if you're coming in from a moldy environment or trying to protect yourself from a moldy environment. You know, you, you mentioned about masks, and again, I agree. I don't want to go down that path and let's talk about masks, good or bad. But just to remind people that just because you're wearing a mask, whether it's an N95, N99, N100, half-face mask with cartridges, it doesn't protect you from the gases. You know, you, you may, you're getting filter filtration from particulates only. Now, that's a good and a bad thing, because especially if you are a sensitized individual, you may also have additional health issues and stuff. You're wearing a mask that's doing a good job filtering particulates. You're going to reduce the amount of air that you can actually breathe in without straining. And again, if you're not trained to wear a mask, if you're not trained to know when you need to take the mask off, when to replace the mask, it could be just as serious as not having a mask. So again, training, preparing, I guess, is, is kind of in the same thing that you were talking about. Well, a little bit, although I would say in this particular case, as I mentioned earlier, by the time the contamination you know, goes 100 miles, 1,000 miles, whatever it is, the, the gaseous portions of that, we're, we're not generally seeing high concentrations of carbon monoxide or even the elevated uh, you know, levels of the nitrogen oxides and stuff like that by the time it hits um, uh, like New York City or something like that. So the wearing the filtering protecting mask is actually uh, a very good step because as I said, even some of the phenols and the aromatic uh, hydrocarbons, the, the volatile organic compounds, a lot of those are um, vapors. So that means that they're, they're um, liquids that have been, you know, the heat has evaporated and there's small droplets in the air. Then those droplets hang on to the uh, particulates and then the particulates get screened out by the mask. So that N95 is actually doing a fairly decent job stopping um, the uh, vapors, which again have coalesced onto the particles and the particles. And then, as I said before, the gases have pretty much dissipated. So uh, 
I'm rather uh, optimistic that the um, uh, you know filtering face pieces, at least the good ones, can be a real benefit to individuals and particularly to people who are sensitized. Oh, that, that's a good piece of info for people to deal with. And again, if uh, I just want to follow up, if you are wearing a mask and don't feel well, you may need to take it off at least short term and stop whatever activities you're doing. I think that's the real message. Try to get to where you feel comfortable and safe and stay that way until this passes. Yeah. So something else I'm going to throw in, not a lot of people know this or remember this, but if you're wearing a mask, you need to be intentional about um, improving your liquid uptake, meaning you need to drink more water, people. Uh, and part of that is because the mask not only does a good job screening these particles and stuff, but it does filter out some of the water vapor. And so therefore you're breathing drier air and the drier air is going to allow whatever particles do get through to go deeper into your system. And by drinking more water, you're going to keep your mucous membranes, uh, you know, hydrated and, you know, a little bit more uh, ability to collect some of those particles and then even to flush them through your system. There's uh, pretty good studies that show that people who are being exposed to the wildfire smoke over a course of a few days will build up levels of different toxins in their body. Um, and a lot of times that's just because they're, they're not drinking enough water to flush them out. And I know several people, uh, particularly in the um, you know, naturopath and the uh, integrated medicine field who say uh, green tea in particular, uh, you know, water and or green tea uh, can be helpful in terms of just detoxing some of that stuff in that's getting into your, you know, first into your bloodstream and then into your internal organs and stuff just because of the um, contaminants in the air. Well, just kind of on a side note, going in a slightly different direction, and, and I agree with what you're saying, and I just wanted to mention that wildfires, forest fires, things like this are not the only thing that cause these types of contaminations in the air that affect people and sensitized individuals. If you remember back, um, we had some recent volcanoes that had erupted and put so much ash into the air. It was affecting people thousands of miles away. It grounded air traffic uh, through Europe for around a week. So there's a lot of things that are in the air that are going to affect people and the sensitized group many times over, even more. So I want to pick up on that as well. I mean, one of the reasons that they ground uh, airliners in situations like this, either because of the wildfire or the volcanoes, is because of the um, aggressive nature of those small particles, particularly as they're compressed and put through a jet engine uh, they can score and damage the insides of those to the point where they can actually have engine failure. And uh, if you think about that, if these particles are, are uh, you know, corrosive enough that they're damaging uh, stainless steel parts, they can't be good for our lungs. So just lots of warnings to us. There's plenty of evidence around, even just common sense evidence that would tell us that we shouldn't be exposed to a lot of this. And uh, you were asking me earlier, you know, some of the other things people can do, obviously. Um, if you have whole house HVAC, and if you've got filters on the HVAC, you can run the HVAC system, even if you just run it on fan, because that, you know, pushes air into the house and through the system and 
Um, typically, most um, home air systems and uh, HVAC systems, unless they have a energy recovery ventilator or heat recovery ventilator or something like that, that's intentionally bringing air in. Uh, typically, those um, are you know only bringing in 10% outside air. Um, high efficiency furnaces, the ones that have the PVC pipes instead of like the chimneys and stuff, again, um, those are going to bring in minimal outside air unless they're on the heat cycle where they bring in the air obviously to um, uh, dilute the, uh, you know, the gases that are being created when they burn uh, the, the gas or the oil for the furnace. So if you're on the air conditioning mode, and you've got a high efficiency furnace and you've got decent filters on it, running that and just running it even on, a, on the fan, on the on switch rather than on the auto switch uh, will make a, uh, should make a good difference. Now, uh, I also want to point out the people who have portable air conditioners, window mount air conditioners, uh, some of these other ones that have, you know, pipes that go in and out and everything, um, what they call pack units, like you see on the wall of a hotel. Oof, those are, that's tough because there's very little filtration on those. And that's uh, a lot of times bringing in 10, 20, 30% outside air uh, just automatically as you turn those on. Well, most so, commercial buildings are spec that way. They have to bring in 15 to 20% fresh air. So they're dealing with those issues also. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to get into the whole discussion of, of the energy efficiency that may not be the energy efficiency, right. but you know, they, they build the building so tight that they do have to bring in more of the outside air. And then in conditions like this, they, they um, Lance, you know this as well as I do, they don't have the filtration on those big HVAC units like we have even on a, a smaller residential unit. So um, that's, that's a tougher way to go. Uh, on some of that. But at the same time, that brings up the last main point that I wanted to make, and that is that sometimes we can't rely, you know, if you're if you're a person or you're staying in a hotel because of, you know, your, you know, your job that took you there to New York City and all of this or whatever it is, sometimes you have to be a little bit more proactive. And particularly if you're sensitized, um, we talk about creating a refuge, even if you can't fix your whole house, you know, is there a bedroom, is there a den, is there a room in your house that you can turn into a refuge that's going to have better air quality and protect you. And these advance, I mean, I'm just blown away. The advance in the air purification systems, which we call proactive air purification, where you're not just relying on it to go through a filter to collect this stuff, You've got um, ionizers and, and uh, you know, one of the better ones I think is this multi-cluster ionization and things. These sorts of products um, can help create these reservoirs of clean air inside a building so that even if you have to run the air conditioner and it's bringing in some of this contaminant and your filters aren't the greatest, at least you can protect yourself in a bedroom where you spend, you know, eight hours a night when you're sleeping and things like that, that can be a big difference. It, you know, it's not a new concept. I mean, uh, they teach and talk about that for hurricanes and tornadoes. You know, to have a safe area in your home, a place that's protected from, you know, 
from things coming through the exterior walls. Well, this is just taking it to another level where you're going to keep your breathable air as clean as possible. Well, I like that analogy. I mean, you're in those cases, uh, you know, for a tornado. So here in the Midwest, we don't have the hurricanes as much, but it's a tornado. And that's exactly what they tell you. You need to have a secure location that in the case of a tornado, you can go into and be better protected from, you know, the damaging effects of the wind. And in a situation like this, uh, particularly the people who are already at risk because they're sensitized, they need to have, you know, think about having that secure location from an air standpoint, uh, just like we would think about having a secure location from a weather standpoint. And doing that with some of these proactive uh, air purifiers, heck, I was looking at the um, Best Living um, Systems website yesterday. They've got plug-in models. I mean, literally just plug into an outlet and is enough to, uh, you know, have some uh, air cleansing that's going on in a room size. They've got ones that are the size of, a, you know, like a, a sports bottle or a drinking glass that's designed to fit in a cup holder in a car to improve the air quality in a car. But you can plug those in and use those in a hotel room or in a bedroom or something like that. And these are not necessarily you know, ex super expensive items or anything like that. They're reasonably priced and they're worth it. You know what? And, and everything you're talking about comes down to do something, improve your condition, be proactive yourself to try to take care of the environment you're in, stay in a healthier and a safer place during conditions like this. And it's going to happen more and more. You know, we didn't really talk about statistics, but from the Weather Channel, they ran some stats yesterday saying that year to date, they have burned up in Canada and the U.S. Well, let me rephrase that. The yearly average for the U.S. and Canada on forest fires is between six and a half and seven and a half million acres. The fires so far to date in Canada are 9.3 million. So they're 50% over the yearly total of burned up forest and what it's putting into the air that we're all breathing and changing weather conditions around the world. And and we're in June. And we're in June. And it's, it's first going to get hot and the fire season is going to first come on. And then we got California to deal with and the West Coast. Prepare yourselves, people, you know, you know, be proactive and uh, take care. Well, uh, that's what I said, just if there's things that you can fix now, fix them. If there's things that you can do to prepare for, you know, because this supposedly this uh, one from Canada, hopefully by the middle of next week, we'll have moved on with some shifting weather patterns. Don't just go back to normal and say, you know, that one's over. I don't have to worry about it because it's something's going to happen again. And uh, those who are already suffering, those who are kind of on an edge health wise, uh, you know, sometimes I talk to my clients about being literally almost like standing on a knife's edge. And we we want to get you off of that edge so that you don't fall over into a, a worse scenario. And the way to do that is it's pretty tough to, uh, you know, have the proactive air purifier when you're in the middle of a, of a problem. Uh, so you may have to get one now. And let me just also finish with this. I know it's the, the fire issues and everything, but uh, I'm a victim of my own um, thinking, so to speak. 
um, neither my wife or I are, both of us are blessed that we don't have a lot of mold sensitivities or anything like that, even with all the crazy work I've done in the industry. Um, and neither one of us really have expressed a lot of allergies over the years. And this summer, uh, or actually this spring, uh, over the last couple of months, I noticed that uh, my wife was feeling uh, less and less um, normal, so to speak. And finally, when we dug into it, it was uh, it turned out that she was having some respiratory issues and some stuff like that. And the initial doctor visit was, yeah, it's a really awful pollen season. We never followed the pollen ratings or anything because she was never, you know, identified as being allergic. And once, once we got the idea that she was, um, um, you know, being impacted by the outdoor pollen, not something that was going on in our house, uh, ended up getting one of the uh, chaos uh, air purifiers that uh, Normie recommends. And within hours, she was telling me that she was feeling better running that in the house. And uh, within two days, she had already given it to her sister and made me buy her another one. So that's just how I okay, then. Well, you know, the stuff works. And, you know, that's the whole thing. And, and we always talk about even, you know, tongue in cheek about you either have a good filter or you are one. You know, and it's all about protecting that you are one. You you want to have as much protection around you as you can. But we are going to end this segment. I do want to thank you for your time. And I didn't mention it earlier, but this is one of the segments that we're doing in a multi-part uh, presentation on the seriousness of the wildfires, how it's affecting the U.S., and people with uh, sensitivities, without sensitivities, and what they can do. So hopefully uh, you'll tune in and see, uh, some of the other segments as we show them. And I want to thank you again for your time. It's always great talking to you, Mike. Uh, bless you, Lance. It was uh, good. I hope it was helpful for people. Thank you.